Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? Welcome back. How was your summer? Great summer, I suppose, given that we've had four days of sun in England, I think, in the whole year or something, um, and we haven't been able to travel. But all things put to that, taking that into account, it's been okay. What about you, Ed? You've been all over the place. I've been traveling quite a bit. It was it was a very refreshing chance to, you know, move around a bit, see some new things. We went to the U.S., visited a lot of relatives there. We were in Colorado and then in Michigan, then back in Germany. So it was good. It was good. That being said, my kids have a very long summer break, so 10 weeks in total. So everyone, but particularly me, is ready for school to get back in session, <laughs> which happens next week. Yeah. So... Yeah. But we've also been been busy at OpenCage. Maybe I can I'll dive right into my update there. Or, Go on then. Um, we're moving moving office. So um, again, my, well, my yes, correct. Uh, so my my colleague uh, Mark Tobias, my co-founder, his wife finished her teacher training and and has now got a job and, and in in a different city. So we're moving office to that city. So not. Not particularly complex, but there are some legalities around that. And and so that was kind of a distracting project. So that's what we're up to. And then... Um, what, legalities think, even moving city in Germany? Yeah, so in, in Germany, the way it works is you have to have an official office address. And so then you have to go to a notary and change that address. But then, of course, we're also changing states. So it changes, you know, which state we pay tax to and things like that. Right. So, I mean, it's a very standard thing, but you got to step-by-step go through it. And then, of course, first of all, we had to find a new office that is like a, a, a co-working space where where he works. Anyway, then, as I think I said last time, we, you know, a couple months ago, we started on our new project, GeoSearch. But that project, unfortunately, had to be put on hold because we got approached by some enterprise clients about doing things for them. So, so we worked on those, and those are now kind of up and running, and, and that's all going really well. But now we're turning our focus back to GeoSearch. So that's kind of the next big milestone. Yeah, and actually, by the time this episode goes out, we should have a, a list, a, an early adopter form up on our site. So if anyone right. wants to, to sign up and get up and in on that, and not just help us with the testing, but kind of be, you know, make sure you're informed as we roll that out. So, so what would GeoSearch do, sort of? That smart okay, yeah, filling so, in of location as you start to type into a search yeah, box. Exactly, exactly. So many. This is this. I should explain because many people mix geosearch and geocoding. Okay, so geocoding or forward geocoding is you have an address or a place name, let's say, and you want to turn that into coordinates. Of course. Right. So geosearch is you have a a string, a, a text string, and you want to turn that into a a place name, okay, which you could then use to do forward geocoding. And and many people do this kind of step one, then step two. So the canonical example is you type uh, P-A-R and we display Paris, right? Okay. So which then you could take Paris, Paris, France, and geocode it and get the coordinates for Paris, France. But basically, it's that first step of converting locations, you know, dead character strings into locations. And it's it's quite complex because obviously there are lots of locations. Lots of locations have the same names. So, mm. you know, if someone types P-A-R, most of, the, most of the time they want Paris, France, not 
Paris, Texas. Texas. Exactly. Or, you know, I think I remember this was something I worked on quite a lot when we did real estate search. And I like I think in UK, there are like, you know, 15 places named Waterloo, for yeah. example. But obviously, probably they mean the Waterloo station in London or that, that area. Yeah. And then, of course, you get into the complexities of um, different languages, people searching mm. uh, and those types of things. So so it's kind of non-trivial, you know, to do mm. this well and in a way that people can just easily drop it in. So, so that's kind of what we're working on. That's going to be kind of the big, big project for the next, let's say the next couple of months, you know, moving that from testing to rolling it out to then charging people to use it. And we're also thinking quite a lot about kind of the business model, because I think many, many of the services that, I mean, obviously the, the, the most common service is Google, which is great in terms of their comprehensiveness, but their pricing is kind of difficult. People, A, people think it's expensive, but also it's hard to understand because it's based yeah. on a number of number of requests and, and consumers don't have a good way to estimate that. So anyway, we think we can provide an interesting twist on this, at least in some, some use cases. So that's what's next for us. Sounds exciting. Yeah. But when's speaking that of what's get, coming, or wait, sorry, when's that going to actually hit? When are people going to actually be able to use that? Well, once we build it, Stephen. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Probably this year. Let's see, it, it always depends on what other distractions come up. And but you know, yeah. I'm hopeful for. I, I guess I would hope, kind of, by the end of September, we can have people alpha testing and then you know we'll see what feedback we get and what changes we need to make and at the point where new customers can arrive and purchase you know in i would say you know sometime in the next couple of months great so great. it's exciting it's fun yeah. it's fun for us because it's we're moving from one product to two products right so that also necessitates a lot of work in terms of thinking about you know how we present that on our website particularly because these two products are quite similar and people confuse them but also, you know, things like the the pricing page and things like that. How do you how do you display it? So, you know, should there be two pricing pages? Should there be one that has all the products? Things like that. So, you know, so it's a fair chunk of work. But speaking of what's coming up, I, I realized we kind of jumped uh, jumped ahead on our schedule here. First of all, we should talk a bit about upcoming geomobs, and, yeah. and then also perhaps, but maybe before that, even the exciting development here on the podcast, which is our 100th episode, is coming up very shortly. Wow. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? <laughs> yeah. So so this episode that we're doing today should, if all goes to plan, be episode 93. So we're not far away from 100. No. So dear listener, if you have any suggestions, special things you'd like us to do for the 100th episode, let us know. And we'll do you realize, that. actually, that I mean, I can remember when you floated this idea to me back before there was a pandemic even. And we didn't realize as we started this podcast that we weren't going to actually see each other face to face for the best part of two years, which it will be by the time. It's we been, get I think it was January 2020 when I last we were last physically. Yeah, we had place. a. An open we cage Christmas lunch. Yeah. We had an open cage Christmas lunch, and it was a, a great bash that we had that day. And then we went on to a geomob in the evening. I can remember exactly. it. Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful that we can have our next London geomob. So I sent out yesterday the, the geomob monthly newsletter. And unfortunately, we weren't able to set hard and fast dates yet for next events. But I'm hopeful our next in-person London event will be in November. And hopefully, if all goes to plan before that, we'll also do a Barcelona event in late October. 
Um, but it, you know, obviously depends on the situation of the pandemic and what the restrictions are around having events and, and also on how comfortable venues feel about having yeah. a mob descend upon them. So let alone the gym. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm very ready. I'm very ready. So I'm just going to put a mark, mark it down in public and say, that a very strong and long-lasting friendship could be ruptured if you schedule a geomob before I get back from my planned vocation. Yeah, I mean, that's the other issue, though, is, of course, the travel travel and yeah. quarantines, post-travel. So we will have to see, but yeah. we're hard at work on it, and as soon as it's possible, we're going to do it. But that being said, one one final point, we don't want to lose momentum on our online events, which which have been quite enjoyable. So we will also aim to do an online event kind of middle of October. So yeah. anyone Are out we... there that is listening that would like to speak at any of these events, please get in touch. I, I mean, I have a few people lined up, but there's still some spots. So please dive in if you want to speak. And... I have a couple of ideas for people who maybe we should reach out to, but let's reach out to them first before we mention them online. Right. Okay, so so we're going to have a an online geomob. We're going to have at least one, maybe two physical geomob. It's going to be a good finish to the year. We need it. We need it desperately. We do need it. I'm, I'm yeah. ready. Everyone should. Yeah. But yeah. we also have another big geo event coming up at the end of September, right? Maybe you want to... Briefly remind yep. the listeners. We've got, we've got Phosphor G coming up at the end of September. Five days of massive amount of geo. I think it's nearly 300 speakers, about 60 workshops, whole things online. It's going to be a really interesting event because they're using StreamYard, which is that video game streaming platform, is the right. sort of streaming platform that they're using. They're using something called Work Adventure, which is a sort of, it's a bit like a retro sort of video game platform. You know, you draw, they create a map of the event, which is like different rooms and different places and sponsor booths and everything. And it's all done online and you can navigate around and they've got a treasure hunt online and everything. I mean, they've really, this is not just going to be five days of video presentations. You know, they've got some really great things lined up. They're working across the time zones. So there's plenty of time off. You're not sitting in front of a screen all day. It's going to be a fantastic event. I'm really excited. Glad that I've been helping in a small way. Looking forward to it. There will be a week where I will be offline, Ed. You will not see me tweeting about anything except Phosphor G. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very nice. Well, and um, congrats to everyone involved yeah. in organizing that. And yeah. uh, obviously, if anyone anyone wants a more in-depth preview, you, you, of course, did an episode a couple weeks ago, episode 87 yeah. of the podcast that people can go back and listen to where you, you spoke with some of the organizers and, yeah. and got into the details. So, And we also talked it. about some of our favorite, favorite talk and my favorite, which I'll just chuck out there again because it is just so perfect for me, is there's somebody talking about using QGIS to visualize football in-game statistics, Okay, which just for me sounds like a fantastic talk and one not to be missed. So I was just thinking whilst we're you know, talking about what's coming up in September, September is a great month for map lovers. There's two fantastic books both by Geomobsters, 
being published in September. In fact, I think Ken Field's book, Thematic Mapping, was published yesterday, and James Cheshire and Oliver Umberti's Atlas of the Invisible was either published yesterday or is being published in the next few days. I'm not sure which. And they are both exquisite books. If you're looking for Christmas presents for a map lover, or given that it's probably the map lover who's listening to us just now, and they want to drop a hint to their their friends or loved ones, both of these will make fantastic Christmas presents. And of course, we have we have episodes coming up about each. So. Indeed, we do. Yeah. So by the time this one goes out, I think will have published my interview with Ken Field about thematic yeah. mapping. Just to give people the sort of overview of this book, Ken took the 2016 election results data and then created 101 different maps based on that same data set. So all different ways of mapping the same data and how you can present very, very different visualizations and impressions from that data. So it's a great book, and it was a great interview, lots of fun. And then James's book, Atlas of the Invisible, sort of goes back to some really early work that was done about visualizing things that are not concrete, not on the ground. You know, early maps were all about topography. They were about mountains, rivers, things you could see, and they were about borders and political geography, but they weren't about human geography. They weren't about the sorts of things that James and Oliver are mapping in this book. So it's a great book, and I'm just partway through it preparing for the interview. It's exquisite, and both books would make fantastic gifts for anybody. So there we go. That's going to be fun. Wow. Not to be outdone, Stephen, I also have an interview coming up with the author and illustrator of a book about, it's called The Atlas of Imagined Places, which I, th- right. I think it comes out end of September. So we haven't done the interview yet, but just as a teaser, um, it's illustrated by Mike Hall, who has, of course, spoken about Geomob several times and his work is fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. So, so yeah, yeah, lots of cool yeah. map books coming out in the, in the lead up to the holiday season. Have you done an interview with Michael? No, not yet. We haven't. We haven't. No, I, well, that's, I, yeah, that's we, one we to do, do it at some point. So. But it, which just he, for, he'll be he'll be in that interview. He'll be yeah. in. It, I'm speaking okay. not just with the author Matt Brown, but also with Michael. So hey, and a little shout out for the Geomob podcast. When I was messaging with James about doing an interview, he very kindly said, "Would you like me to get you a?" an early copy of the book so that you can have a look at the book before we do the interview, which, and I was perfectly happy to go out and buy one, but he offered to send me one. So he then sent me a message back saying that the publishers were going to send me a copy. And he told them that I was an influencer to which several of my friends burst out laughing because I didn't really know what an influencer is, but apparently it's because the GMob podcast is listened to by all these geo geeks that that makes me, makes me and you an influencer. So just there you go, Stephen. There you go, Stephen. All, you the, go. All, that rem- all that remains is to get your TikTok account fired up and uh, and get on Instagram, and you're good to go. So, <laughs> yeah, both um, things that I think I can comfortably say I'll give a miss, Dad. Uh, <laughs> so, other things that have been going on. I was interested to read the conversation going on on 
I'm not sure whether it's on the OpenStreetMap Foundation list or whether it was on some other forum, but OpenStreetMap are running a trial to an option to take to um, supply vector tiles. Yeah, I mean, I know this has been been desired for years and in discussion yeah. for years. So yeah. I don't, I haven't followed it that closely. Actually, one of the interviewees I have lined up for the coming months is Graham Slater who, of course, is is one of the main people in Hasbro right. for years behind the OSM operations team. Yep. So maybe he can reveal a bit more about that. But I don't know why it hasn't happened in the past, because obviously vector tiles are not a new thing, and people have access for a while. But I think it basically had to do exactly with that, with kind of the operational load. And I think it's a combination of it's quite a big operational challenge to generate the whole of the planet file Invect tiles at scale and then to serve them at scale. You know, I mean, it's, right. no. I think it's not a, it's not a trivial thing. It's not like generating vector tiles for, for a country or a part of a country or anything like that. And the fact is because OSM is changing so often, presumably those tiles, you know, you have to have a process to regenerate the tiles. And do you just regenerate sure. the whole lot or do you then try and find the changes and regenerate the changes? And yeah, I, I'm sure it's complicated. Yeah. It's, you know, nothing is easy when you're doing it at that scale. That's right. And also, I know, you know, all of the services that, that the OSM Foundation operates, the problem is the vast majority of people, you know, use them kind of as they're intended, which is in their mapping activities and maybe to browse around a little. But then you have some people who just absolutely abuse the system you know, and try to scrape the entire earth and things like that. And, you know, they're continually firefighting against those types yeah. of things. So you really kind of have to, anything they, they do or build, you have to plan for the worst case scenario from day one. So and then of course, you've also got the question of, should they be doing this? Which goes back, was the same question that was being asked about the jet when they were just serving raster tiles you know because you've got the commercial providers who provide a tile service people like our friend andy allen and loton and of course at the other end of the spectrum map box who are providing the tiles and everything so the question comes up should osmf even be providing this stuff i think they should but well obviously not a question i'm unbiased on as someone who also provides uh, not map tiles but geocoding you know to a degree we do compete with the free offering from the Street foundation which yeah it's complex it is it is this a service should osmf be providing consumer facing services or should they just be providing kind of tools for mappers and then those who want to provide consumer facing services can kind of build on top of that using their own infrastructure you know there's valid opinions in both directions but, yeah. but the reality is i just think it's it's challenging for osmf to provide any kind of consumer there's so much more than just technology to providing yeah. these consumer facing services and so luckily that means there's been plenty of opportunity for for businesses like ours or andy allen's or you know whatever but you know it's kind of gray area there are places where we overlap and there are definitely, I mean, we definitely do get, we notice it when occasionally they kind of do a crackdown and people who are abusing the system get banned. Immediately they come to us, right? So, and then sometimes become customers. So it's, uh, there, we could probably do a whole episode talking about that, I think, maybe. Yeah, that maybe. Might be a good, good pro con, you know, kind of a, a more of a debate format. 
Yeah, maybe get Andy and uh, somebody from the OpenStreetMap board or somebody to talk, or the ops team to talk about that as well. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So... Obviously, if you're listening to this, maybe you're a regular podcast listener, but if you maybe skipped an episode or two because of summer break, I just wanted to highlight our our recent series where we did over the summer where we interviewed a few different uh, map artists, um, which I thought was quite interesting because we had, we had four, or four or five different episodes yeah. where we had different people who make their living from doing art, sometimes exclusively based on maps and cartographic kind of themes, other times just occasionally also doing maps and things like that. But it was interesting to hear the different perspectives and the the different approaches also. Some, you know, very manual, very, very, you know, kind of old school pen pen and ink and some much more digital. Mainly pen and ink, though. Hmm? I think mainly pen and ink. I guess it was mainly pen and ink. But there are some that, that, you know, start with a digital digital base and then go from there but i don't know i i thought it was interesting and also maybe a good model of, of something we can do going forward in terms of kind of having a theme for a couple episodes or or you know five six episodes where we just interview different people from kind of the same field or or yeah the same absolutely subset of spatial and and look at their different approaches so what i found interesting when i was doing a couple of those interviews was that we're taking graphical artists in a, a very visual medium and we're tr- and we're interviewing them and we're just talking you know and it's in the spoke yeah and we're trying to explain what they do and how they do it and why they do it it was a, it was an interesting exercise you know i enjoyed it a lot and uh, if you've not listened to them listeners they're well worth digging into all of those and hearing these different stories about people who who are making a living out of Art based on maps. Agreed. Yeah. So, oh, you know what we forgot, Ed? What is Mapri's third birthday? All right. I, I, all right. When exactly is Mapri's third birthday? Mapri's third birthday is on Monday, the sixth of September. Congrats. Which, dude. by Congrats. the time this goes out, will probably be in the past. Yes. But that's something, you know, for a little hobby project. Three years. 600 posts, a 1,000 images, a big backlog of images ready to go, you know, from an idea that Ken Field and I had when we were on Safari. It's quite... how, how many people are, you know, do you have on your mailing list? Or, I mean, what are the, what are the key metrics you're kind of tracking? I don't know. We've got over a 1,000 people following us on, on Twitter, which is the biggest forum, definitely, for Mappery is Twitter. Okay. You know, because all of the posts appear on our Twitter feed. You know, we've got a, a sort of a pipe that takes them straight from the blog to the Twitter feed. And we've got, we just passed a thousand followers a couple of weeks back. So, you know, and it just keeps growing. The mailing list is smaller, but surprisingly just quietly grows people who want to receive the weekly mailing. And then, you know, you get people browsing to the website, you know, and you look at the website stats and it it's surprising, you know, that uh, you can see the peaks and people troughs the things and what's interesting is the choice of title for a blog post dramatically influences how many times it will get seen on the website sure because it's the seo right it's the seo yeah people are searching for yeah Yeah. how many what kind of feedback do you typically get like what kind of are are people when you post an image does it typically get many comments or no or it varies slightly or 
It varies. I mean, there's a small group of people who are really into this and who are often commenting. They're also out there looking, actively looking to find maps in the wild that they can send to me. Right. And then there's obviously a lot more people who are following it and who who don't comment but obviously enjoy it because they follow and they stay following. And, you know, like I said, the mailing list keeps growing. So, you know, it clearly hits a spot, you know, and uh, as an archive now with a thousand images, it's quite something, you know, that we've got that much content up there, or, you know, of maps in the wild. Who did, you know, I mean, if you'd have asked me three years ago, could we get to a thousand images, I would have said, that sound like an enormous number of pictures of maps in the wild. So, Congrats yeah. to you and uh, Arno and, and Ken. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, again, as we've always said, the, the, building things is easy. Maintaining them and keeping them going is very hard. So mm. three, three years is no small milestone. No, well it's not. And it, it's a hell of a lot easier when you've got somebody, when you're sharing the load with somebody else. Well, I look forward to toasting your success at our in-person Geomob in London. Yeah, I look forward to that as well. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully. Okay, so I think we're done. All right, well, welcome back, everyone. Hope you everyone had a good summer. And, uh, you know, let's let's keep the momentum going. And hopefully, very soon, we'll be hanging out in person. And drinking beer. And drinking beer. (laughs) Until then, Steve. Until then. See ya. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future Geomop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.